Will you please stand? We are going to read the 23rd Psalm together as we begin this series. And we'll do this every week of the series at the beginning of the message. So let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. Elton John wrote a great line in his song, Candle in the Wind. And he sang this song when I saw him uh, just a couple of weeks ago, about 10 days ago. Um, and this line just always touches my heart very deeply. And it seems to me you lived your life like a candle in the wind, never knowing what to cling to when the rain set in. It's a brilliant line. I'm doing a memorial service for a 17-year-old on Tuesday evening, and she was a candle in the wind, too. There are three questions that suffering asks. Why me? How long? What do I do now? And these three questions roll around and around and around in our hearts and in our minds. Let me read to you from different passages of Scripture some of the emotional engagement that people have felt for thousands of years when it comes to suffering, when it comes to difficulties and, and engaging those things that drive us to our knees in life. Hosea 6, verses 1 through 3. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. And there's this, there's this theme when it comes to suffering. Suffering is there, and it will always be there, and it can drive us to our knees. It can press us into the very heart of God when sometimes we, we realize that God has even allowed something like this suffering to happen. It can be confusing, but the theme is always to press on to know him, to know God, to be in a 
in a relationship with him that's real, that is tangible, that carries you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? There's, there's the theme again. My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Verses 10 and 11. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear and a time tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And so... Solomon juxtaposes these times and these seasons of our lives. And it's, it's, so, it's so full of meaning where in verse 4 he, he juxtaposes weeping and laughing, mourning and dancing. He says there, there will be great happy times that you will be surrounded with and there will be other times that will cause you to cry all day long. That will cause you to be in a season of grieving for you have lost something. You have lost someone and it was so dear to you and he or she was so dear to you. In his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, Tim Keller writes, one of the main ways we move from abstract knowledge about God to a personal encounter with him as a living reality is through the furnace of affliction. As C.S. Lewis famously put it, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Believers understand many doctrinal truths in the mind, but those truths seldom make the journey down into the heart except through disappointment, failure, and loss. As a man who seemed about to lose both his career and his family once said to me, I always knew in principle that Jesus is all you need to get through, but you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. As Tim Keller looked at the Bible as he 
read passages like I just read to you. He commented, finally, as I grew in my understanding of the Bible itself, I came to see that the reality of suffering was one of its main themes. Psalm 34, 18 reminds us, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. To understand the furnace, you have to answer one question. What is the meaning of life? What does it mean for you personally to be living your life? What is the significance of it? What are you called to? If it's to be happy, then you end up heading in one direction. If it's to be holy, you end up heading in another direction. And that's what C.S. Lewis was trying to, to tell you in his, in his lecture, that life is more than just about being happy from day to day. It's so much more than that. It's deeply it deeply abides, life deeply abides in this idea of, of learning holiness every day. And what does learning holiness mean? We, we don't want to take that into a cathedral somewhere and say, I'm trying to learn how to be holy. Learning to be holy every day simply means each day you learn to think more like God thinks. Each day you learn to act more like God acts. Each day with great intention you say, God, your will be done through me on earth as it is in heaven. In, in one of the most, at the time, in one of the most confusing dialogues that Jesus had, which we've had 2,000 years to, to figure out and peel back the layers of, uh, Jesus told one of the, the leading teachers of that day, you have to be born again. You have to be born again to understand this. And when you look at that, it means you've got to be born with a heavenly perspective. You've got, to, you've got to be born once as a human being. And we've all had that experience. And then you have to be born as a citizen of another world with a different perspective. When you're born that way, you see things differently. You think things differently. You figure things out differently. The math that you work with is a different kind of math. The future that you envision is a different kind of future. And this is the key to understanding what it means to be a Christian. Because if it's, if it's sometimes I think like this and sometimes I don't, there's no such thing as, as uh, you know, half of a bucket of Christianity. That's why Jesus was not really happy when he talked to, to the Laodiceans in the first century about being lukewarm. He goes, don't. Don't do that. Just If you can't do this with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, then just walk away. Just walk away. But Christianity is this, is this resolute following of Jesus. It's this, it's this moment by moment dependency on God and his will to be revealed through our lives. And when you're doing that, when your mind is focused on that, when that becomes a way you evaluate the hours of your day, you are being holy. You're not just being happy. You can be happy while you're being holy. But holiness is the driving edge of your life if you follow Jesus Christ. 
There are two basic ways people have tried to cope with this in, in history, two basic ways that people have tried to cope with suffering. The first one is just don't let it get to you. Just kind of keep it out here. Don't feel it. Just do not let it get to you. Just do what you do. Quickly move on. The other way has been to don't love anything too much and don't ever, ever have any kind of hope because life is all you're going to get. So just try to get through without getting hurt too much. Neither of those ways work. This is what Christianity says. Christianity says experience all the pain. Love answers everything. You're going somewhere else. Experience all the pain. There's, there's, there's enough pain in everybody's life. Love answers everything in a way that we don't always allow ourselves to understand, but it does answer everything. And you're going somewhere else. There's, there's another place. It's this, it's this kingdom that is presented in Scripture that is what makes this world make any sense at all. And, and that's what Jesus came to show us. He came to, to forgive us, to die for us, to show us what a resurrection looks like and what it does. But he also came to teach us the requirements, the parameters, the values of another kingdom. And, and that's what makes us significantly different. And it's what makes us, those of us who follow Christ with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our minds, it makes us sometimes look like we're so different. How do you even do that? You have to do it with an integrity that allows yourself to be in the world, but not of the world. There are three moments of suffering. There are three moments of suffering. There's a moment when you transition from a perfect world into a broken world. When was that for you? Some of us, we, we get to live in this perfect world in, in our childhood. We live in idyllic Norman Rockwell existence. I often joke with our, our children's ministry director, Sandy Verwath. She grew up in this idyllic town in Wisconsin. It's called Cedar Grove, Wisconsin, where everybody sits on the front porch and everybody goes to church and, and they don't have a police force. And I don't think they have a, or they have a volunteer fire department. They don't have a police force. It's like everything in this little town is idyllic. So then when do you fall out of the Norman Rockwell picture into the, the mud and the mire of the reality of life that happened to you somewhere along the way? Because it happens to each and every person, from Goldilocks and Little Red Riding Hood to Romeo and Juliet to The Matrix and Maleficent, all stories are about a kind of brokenness, a degree of confusion or suffering, and, and yet all stories sort of come out on the other side where there is, there is light, there is, there is hope, there is a sense of there's more, something happens that you don't expect to happen, I saw that movie, Maleficent, yesterday, and something happened that you don't expect to happen, and it kind of pulls everything together, and, and I, 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 didn't see it, I didn't see it coming. And, and we long for that. 
And that's what Christianity says to us. You can long for, for something because it's there and it is coming. Second, there's a moment when you are derailed or crushed by something in life you never thought would happen, but it did. It's your, it's your Job moment. It's that moment when you didn't want it, you never saw it coming, and you never dreamt that this would happen to you. And, and you can tell story after story of people you know that that's happened to, and you probably have a story in your life where that's happened, and that's just, again, you have that transition from a perfect world into a broken world, but then there's that moment when it hits you hard. And then finally, there's a moment when you change your response to what happened by letting another reality conquer life's attempt to derail you, life's attempt to knock you down, life's attempt to crush you. For Christians, this third moment brings meaning to suffering because of Christ and the resurrection. It doesn't instantly take away grief or loss. It doesn't magically soothe battered emotion, but it does change the way you deal with derailment. It transforms suffering into perspective, pain into potential, grief and loss into the expectation of a new reality. Suffering is redeemed by this transformation. Suffering accrues meaning and hope. Martin Luther said that suffering must empty us of pride, that suffering must teach us to rest in the sufficiency of Christ's sufferings for us. And that was true 500 years ago, and it's still true today. Tim Keller wrote, only Christianity of all the world's major religions teaches that God came to earth in Jesus Christ and became subject to suffering and death itself. And because he did that, he says, I've gone ahead of you. I've taken this on. And I have, I have conquered this. So no matter what happens, no matter how awful it is, no matter how terrible it is in this world, I will care for you. I will get you through. You will come to that place ultimately where you will see the light of life in a whole new way and everything will be cared for. The most tragic thing that you can imagine, the most tragic thing that has happened will be cared for in God's time. That's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, who is the one who condemns. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But 
in all these things. We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced. And then there's this, this great crescendo. And there's this magnificent ending to the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so how do you hang on to that? How do you hang on to that when you've had your Job moment? How do you hang on to that when life has assaulted you? Anne Lamott talks about how she hangs on in her book, Help, Thanks, Wow. When I pray, which I do many times a day, I pray for a lot of things. I ask for health and happiness for my friends and for their children. This is okay to do, to ask God to help them have a sense of peace and for them to feel the love of God. I pray for our leaders to act in the common good, or at least the common slightly better. I pray that aid and comfort be rushed to people after catastrophes, natural and man-made. It is also okay to ask that my cat have an easy death. Some of my friends' kids are broken, and the kids' parents are living in that. And other friends' marriages are broken, and every family I love has serious problems involving someone's health or finances. But we can be big in prayer and trust that God won't mind if we pray about the cat. I know even as I pray for help that there will be tremendous compassion, mercy, generosity, companionship, and laughter from other people in the world and from friends, doctors, nurses, hospice people. I also know that life can be devastating. When my great hero, Arthur Ashe, had had AIDS for quite a while, he said, God's will alone matters. When I played tennis, I never prayed for victory in a match. I will not pray now to be cured of heart disease or AIDS. So I pray, help, hold my friends in your light. There are no words for the broken hearts of people losing people. So I ask God with me in tow to respond to them with graciousness and encouragement enough for the day. I've seen many people survive unsurvivable losses and seen them experience happiness again. How is this possible? Love flowed to them from their closest people and from their community surrounded them, sat with them, held them, fed them, swept their floors, time passed. In most cases, their pain evolved slowly into help for others. But where do we even start on the daily walk of restoration and awakening? We start where we are. We find God in our human lives, and that includes the suffering. And then she writes, we don't have to figure out how all this works. Figure it out is not a good slogan. It's enough to know it does. There are three questions that suffering asks. And we're just at the beginning of this. There are four chapters here, and this is only the first. Three questions. Why me? Maybe you're asking that today. How long? Maybe you're asking that today. What do I do now? Maybe you're asking that today. Hosea put it this way. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. 
So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. And he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for every person right now who's suffering with something, struggling with something, for every why me, for every how long, for every what do I do now, I pray, Father, I pray that you will bring hope like you bring the rain. I pray that you would bring healing by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you'll allow someone here today to remember to press their heart into the heart of Christ, into the heart of Jesus that gave his heart for them, that gives his heart to them today. Oh, Father, allow us to, to pray hard and to live with integrity. Allow us to walk this road of Christianity with, with a sense of, of abiding faith because you are so faithful to us. And when we have that Job moment in our lives, Father, let us keep looking to you to get to the other side. Father, in our weeping, let us find laughter. In our mourning, let us find dancing. Let us live this life fully until we live into the next life, into the world that is to come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven through us. We pray in Jesus' name.